I invite you to open up to 1 Timothy chapter 3. I'm so thankful for our church family, for our friends, for people we care about in our midst. I'm thankful for the snow, even though it, it keeps people away, and I understand that. It's not easy to get up and, and come to church, and especially in a day like this. And, and really the question this morning is, why even bother with church? Um, let, let, me, let me tell you, there are other options on Sunday mornings that um, sometimes we look at are really, really good options, and yet we forget about uh, church. I'll give you one option. On a day like this, I don't want nothing more but to be in my bed with a hot chocolate, amen? And just put on the, um, I wouldn't put on the Broncos because they never win, but I put on a, <laughs> a, a team, uh, yeah, I know, six in a row, five in a row, yep, I knew Trudy would get up on that one. Six in a row here, we got her blood flowing, but it, you know, it's, uh, I get her excited about that. But, um, you know, I, I mean, there are other options. There are other options. Um, bed is an option, shopping's an option. Not many people shop on Sunday mornings, you could beat the crowd. You know, hobbies, some of our hobbies are on Sunday morning. It's amazing. When we were younger, you know, a lot of these things, sporting events, all this, kids clubs, all that, they weren't on Sundays. Now they are. Now you really can't be a part of some of the clubs unless you're there on Sunday mornings. I remember the first time we put Johnny in, the, in one of these clubs and we asked the guy, well, Sunday mornings, is he going to have to play on Sunday mornings? Um, you know, and so... He goes, nah, don't worry about it. He won't have to play on Sunday. Half the season was on Sunday mornings. And then one of the guys joking around says, that's right. You can't miss. You're a pastor. He goes, I'm a deacon. I can miss. And so, uh, <laughs> and I'm like, wow, unbelievable. I want to open up my heart to you this morning. Um, there was a time when we came here and we were, we were serving the first couple of years. And in 2000, I think it was 17, if I'm not mistaken, Katie and, Katie and her family and, and, and we all went together to this camp, this reservoir. Well, we don't camp, okay? Because camping is, I don't know why people do that. We go to cabins, amen? Hotels, that's where you go to. You don't go to uh, a tent. But anyway, um, you know, if you want to, that's fine. But we went to, we went to this cabin and... I remember thinking that we're going to this cabin and there is not a church anywhere near this. So I'm going to have to miss church. Now, I haven't missed church in I don't know how many years. And straight every, every Sunday, and if we go on vacation, we go to church. My family knows. Well, anywhere we go, we're going to church. But this time there was no church. And Saturday comes and we're getting ready to go into this place and I felt great I'm like what's wrong with me I don't have pressure on me I don't I, I feel wonderful Katie this is great we woke up on Sunday morning I didn't have to go to church I felt great I mean it was probably one of the best weekends I had in years. I didn't remember feeling that way on a Saturday night, and I didn't remember feeling that way on a Sunday morning. It felt good not to be in church. And I'm a pastor. I thought about coming back and asking for the church for Sundays off after that. I mean, you know, 
But let me just tell you something. If we go just by our feelings, I'm here to tell you, even as a pastor, it feels good not to be here at times. Wow, unbelievable. <laughs> That's a Calvinism right there. But anyway. Uh, so why even bother with this? Why even bother with the snow? And, and let's add a few things on this. Let's pick on the church for a moment. Um, oftentimes, church is very boring. Very, any amens? You can say it. It's okay. I can be boring. That's all right. I understand that. You're not going to hurt my feelings. Um, there, not every Sunday do I hit a home run and it's a beautiful shot and a beautiful sermon. There are a lot of duds out there. All right. I get up here. I try my best and it's, it, there's duds. There's the, the singing sometimes, right? We try our best and it turns out to be a dud. Uh, the fellowships are done. People, it's, it's lower. It's a, it's, it's a boring. So people say, oh, it's so boring, you know, to go to church. Why do I have to go and listen to a guy for 30 minutes and, and go home? Why can't I just do that somewhere else? Um, let me, let me pick on the church a little bit. Some churches abuse and use people. And maybe you've been there. Maybe you've been misused, underappreciated, not thought of for your service doing well. And, and, and pastors and elders and deacons do mistreat people. We're humans. And you have that in your mind. Why go back to a place that has hurt me? Why even do that? Some feel um, burnt out, you know. I go to this church and all they do is ask me to serve. You know, and I say, come here and believe me, Jessica will find you. And she will ask you to serve. Amen. <laughs> she is amazing. She will get the volunteers. She has the gift of pastoring, but she's a woman, so she can't be one. But anyway, you know, she knows how to get the people going. She get them moving. She knows how to get them hopping. And so churches feel, why do I got to go there? Why not just go to a park? Nobody's going to ask me to work in a park. I could just go hang out there on a Sunday morning. And so why even bother? I, I love this one. This mother goes to her child. Okay, Sonny, time to get up for church. No, Mom, come on with you and your church. I'm not getting... Sonny, it's time to get up for church. Mom, leave me. A, give me three reasons, Mom, to go to church. Sonny, it's time to go. I'll give you number one reason why we're Christians and all Christians go to church. Come on, Mom, don't come with that stuff. We're all Christians go to church. Give me another reason. Son, church is 45 minutes away. We're going to be late if you don't get out of your bed. Get out of your bed. We need to go to church. Come on, Mom, give me a different reason. Give me a better reason. Son, you're the pastor. You need to go to church. Come on. You don't go to church, we're in trouble. Give me a reason. All right? Give me a reason. And we're going to look here in 1 Timothy 3, verses 14 and on, and he's going to give us several reasons why we bother with church. Why do we get up on a, a Sunday morning when it's snowing and not just stay home? Why do, we, why do we come to church? Why do we want to be together in church? Well, we're going to notice here in, in verses 14 and 15, we're going to see a few. The first reason we're going to see is we come to church because God helps us to align our lives to his plans and purposes. God helps us to align our lives with his plans and his purposes. Notice this here in verse 14. He says this, I am writing these things to you. What things? 
Well, we know the things. They're in chapter 1, and chapter 2, and chapter 3. In, in chapter 1, he says, Timothy, make sure you don't get distracted, Timothy. Don't get into these fights with people that mean nothing, Timothy. Don't go get into battles that, that are all about speculation. People love to fight about speculation. He says, don't go there. Don't, don't fight about things you can't prove and all this speculation stuff. Don't you? You remember the goal. It's to, it's to preach out of a pure heart, out of a good conscience and a sincere faith. You live out that goal, Timothy. You don't forget the goal. Then we get to chapter 2. He tells Timothy, you better be praying and praying for souls, praying for people to get saved. We, we go before God and we ask God to save people. We ask God to save our rulers and to save those in authority, to save our friends, to save our family. We have a God that wants all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. I didn't like that, Calvin. But anyway, we go on. Okay, I just had to throw that one out. <laughs> the nice thing is his second name is Elliot, right? After the great missionary, I don't know if you named him, Jim Elliot. We probably didn't. But anyway, Jim Elliot is a great missionary who uh, went out and, and, and tried to see people get saved and lost his life for it. We serve a God who, who desires all men to be saved, chapter 2, verse 4, and come to the knowledge of truth. And then in, in, in chapter 2, he also talks about women. And when women come to church, they ought to be ready with a heart to learn and, and a heart to receive what God has from his word. And not focus on the external stuff that comes and goes, but really to focus on the heart. And men, you better step up, he says in chapter 2, and step up and, and, and lead people in prayer. He talks about that. And then chapter 3 is a wonderful chapter that we, we talked about the, the, the different things that God looks for in leadership. And if anybody asks you, you just remember it very simple, the three C's of leadership. The first one is character. It must be a person of character who loves God, who, who serves God, who, who lives for God and is sensitive to sin. Then the second thing, there must be a, a person of competence. They have to be apt to teach and, and be able to open up the Bible and preach the Bible. And then the last C there, they need to be people of care. They care for people. They care for their home. They care for the church. They care about others. And let me just tell you, as you get those people in leadership, they have character, they have competence, they have care. Over time, not the first day, not the first Sunday, but over time, they have credibility. That takes time. Nobody can walk into a place and say, I'm the leader, believe me. No, the leader, as you see, the character as you see competent, as you see that the person has a heart and really cares for others, over time, credibility comes. Now, if the character goes, or the care goes, or the competence goes, there goes the credibility. It happens just like that. And so he's got to make sure that he's doing that, and even women servants in the church need to be servants of character. He says, I'm writing you these things. Now, I don't want you to miss this here, back in verse 14 there. I'm hoping to come to you before long. You see, Paul loves Timothy and Paul loves the church and, he's, and, he, and he wants to see Timothy in person, but he realized he may not make it. Look at verse 15. But in case I am delayed, there it is. Um, literally in the Greek, I'm probably going to be delayed. 
Um, as much as I love you, Timothy, and as much as I love that church in Ephesus, I have other ministry to do. I may not make it to you. Here's what's interesting. We don't even know if Paul ever made it to Timothy in this one. And so we can't just say just because we have a burden for something and that, that we care about something that we can do it. We can't do everything that we're burdened for and care about. We do have limitations. Even Paul did. And Paul says, I may be delayed. Probably I'm going to be delayed. So I love you so much, I'm going to write you a letter. And here it is. I'm going to write you a letter so that you would be able to know how you ought to conduct himself in the household of God. In other words, I am writing you a letter so that you will understand as you teach the church and, 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 and help the church that they can align to God's purposes and plans. Because here's the problem. Many of us as believers are out of alignment. You say, how does that happen? Um, we live by fleshly wisdom. We, we think we know better than God. We think we can handle things on our own. And we go throughout the week and we listen to the world and we listen to our hearts instead of God's word. And we get out of alignment. You ever have a car out of alignment? You get your hands off the wheel and what happens to the car? Here's what God wants. We live our lives throughout the week. We're getting out of alignment. We come together. God brings us right back to where we need to be aligned. And how to live for his plans and his purposes. I want to show you this in the Bible here in 2 Corinthians for a moment. Look at this here. This is beautiful. 2 Corinthians, somewhere in the Bible. 2 Corinthians, chapter 2. I'm sorry, chapter 1, verse 12. Look at this here. 2 Corinthians, chapter 1, verse 12. And I hope that we can all say this before God. Sorry, it's not up on the screen. It's here in your Bible. Page 1372, if you have my Bible. Here it is. Look at this. For our proud confidence is this. The testimony of our conscience. I pray that this is the testimony of all of our consciences here. Here's our confidence. Here's our conscience. Here's what it says. That in holiness and godly sincerity. Do you know what he's saying here? That we're living a life of purity. We are living a life that is sincere and transparent with others. God help us to do that. We're not fakes. We're real. We are living a life of transparency and holiness before God. Now watch this in verse 12. Not in fleshly wisdom. Let me just tell you, as people who think they know better than God and live by their feelings and make their decisions based on what they think and not what God says, they are living in fleshly wisdom. That's not what God wants. But here's what it says here. But we're living in the grace of God. And here it is. This is beautiful. We have conducted ourselves in the world and especially toward you. In other words, our lives in the world are holy. They're transparent. 
They are dependent upon God for his wisdom, and we are living by his grace in the world. And then he says this in the verse, and especially towards you. We are living the same thing before you. In other words, we are conducting ourselves in a way that pleases God. Here's what Paul says. I'm writing you these things so you would understand how to align your life in a way that pleases God and align the church in the same way. Because oftentimes we, we start to not live in holiness. We start to not live being transparent. We start to live in our fleshly wisdom. And we start to think that we can handle life on our own without the grace of God. And what church does, it brings us right back into a line and saying, you can't do that. Going back to 1 Timothy 3. He's saying, I I'm writing you these things. You're going to read, you, you, there's a thousand books out there on how to do church. But I'm here to tell you, the greatest book on how to do church is 1 Timothy. He says, I may be delayed, but I'm writing you so that you know, you understand how you ought to conduct yourself in, in and then we're going to see what church is. So the first reason why we, we need the church and bother with the church, because it helps us to behave in a way that honors the Lord. Now, now, let me give something about this, because we've got to be careful. A lot of churches are about one of the three B's. Maybe you've heard this before. A lot of churches are about behavior. And all they talk to you about is your external behavior. You need to be this. You need to do that. You need to do this. You need to be that. You need to do this. They miss church. That's not all what church is about. There's another, a lot of other churches are all about belonging. We want you to belong, belong with us, belong with us, belong with us. It's, they've missed it. Churches need to be about belief, what we believe first. And when we believe the right things about God and his church, we will behave in a way that honors him and we will belong to God's people. It all comes together. But he's saying here, I am writing this to you, align in the behavior part, but don't miss the belief part of it all. Now, look at the second reason here. This is important. He says here, and in case I'm delayed, I'm writing to you so you know how you ought to conduct yourself in the household of God. Now, here's what it is. He's going to write here in this verse three descriptions of the church that if we don't understand, we will never bother with the church. In fact, if anybody ever asks you, so what is church and why do you go to church? I pray that you come to this verse. Open up 1 Timothy 3.15 and show them what church is. Let me tell you what it's not. Church is not a building. Amen? Amen. Praise God, it's not this building with asbestos and all the stuff that we have. It's not a building. And sewer problems and everything else we have. It is not a building. Praise God, it's not a building. But what do we say in the morning? I'm going to what? I'm going to church. Or I see your church. I see, is that the church, that little church next to the school? I can see it over there. Is that the church? This is not, the building is not the church. Church is not a denomination. Amen? That's why we're non-denominational. We can't make up our minds. We don't know what to, you know I mean? We, we don't know what to believe. But it, it's not a denomination. So people say, this church is this denomination. No, no, it's not a denomination. What is church? Look at this here. There are three things that it tells us what church is right here. This is beautiful. 
The first thing it says here is you are to conduct yourself in the household of God. Church is God's people. Church is family. It is God's house. And in every house, somebody calls the shots. Amen? Amen. Somebody wears the pants. And I tell Katie, if you ever want to know who wears the pants in his home, I'll hold up a mirror to your face. Amen? <laughs> you like that one, huh? You don't mess around with Katie. But we're family. This is God's people. And when somebody says they don't need church, they're saying they don't need God's people. And that is wrong. In fact, we need God's people. Uh, one guy wrote it, said this, Try writing 30 times I love you on a piece of paper without your hands. We can do it probably with our foot, but it's going to take a long time. People who don't go to church, who are believers, the church now is missing body parts. And yeah, the church can get along, but the church, it takes it a lot longer to do what God wants it to do because some of the body parts are missing. We need church. They need you. We need you. You need them. And we are a family. We are brothers and sisters. I love it when, before I came here to this church, they had on here WCBC, where church is family. Praise God. They understood this verse. We are a family. We are God's people. And you say, why is that important? Well, there's rules in God's house. He calls the rules. And there's responsibilities in God's family. Look at this here. Uh, turn with me to Galatians chapter 6. I want to show you this. A couple of books back before um, 1 Timothy here. But I want to show you. We're going to move around a little bit here today. But Galatians chapter 6, I want to show you how we're God's family, what this means here. Galatians chapter 6. In verse 10, it says this. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to who? All people, right? Now, don't miss this next part. Especially to those who are of the household of the faith. God's people. And so what God wants is for us to come together to love one another, to serve one another, to encourage one another, to be there for one another, to, 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 to do all the things that one another's talk about. We are to do good to the very household of God. We don't miss that part. We do good to the world. We serve the world, but we also serve God's family. So why bother with church? Because this is God's people. This is our family. Now, here's what's fun about family. Sometimes family will drive you nuts, amen? I love joking around with my, my nieces and nephews, and I say to them, isn't it weird, you know, you come to these family, we have these family reunions every now and then, we go, you know, to the Katie's family, we're always at their houses, this and that, every, everything, so I joke around with my niece and nephew, you know, don't you, I hate these family reunions, you know why, always there's that oddball uncle that always comes to it, you know, and you got to deal with that oddball uncle, you know, and they look at me, you're the oddball uncle, huh? And I tell them a few dad jokes. <laughs> hey, in every family, 
doesn't mean that everyone's perfect. <laughs> or we get along with everyone just because they're family. There's some oddballs. Some weird ones. But it says here in this verse, we are especially to do good to the household of faith. Don't miss that. So we bother with church. Why do we get up on a snowy day? And because this is God's people. But I want to I want to encourage you something. Now look at this in 1 Timothy 3. This is beautiful here. He gives another description, and we understand what church is here because of this next description. Not only is it God's people, and we need God's people, and God's people need, need us. This is the church of the living what? Now, now don't miss this. The, the word church there, ecclesia, speaks of called out ones. We are called out to meet in a certain place to do business to God. I love when I ask people, do you go to church? And they say, no, no, I just read my Bible and everything. And where two or more are gathering his name, their God is. So that's a church. Oh, really? So if I walk in a supermarket and I run into you, are we the church? <laughs> the church back then met together. They were called out to do business to God. There's pastors, there's deacons, there's elders, there's leaders. The, the, the church has a purpose to glorify God, to preach his word, to glorify him. And they come together for prayer and for fellowship. There is not just two people bumping into each other in a supermarket. But here's what's amazing about this. As we come together, as we are called out and come together, not only our church, but all churches that do this, um, believers in Christ that do this, as they come together, look what it says here. They are the church of the living God. Know what it's saying here? It's saying that God's presence in the Old Testament, if you study the Old Testament out, he had his presence in the sanctuary. He had his presence in the temple. But now we're not under that. And now we're in the New Testament. And where is God living right now? Where is God living right now? Inside of us. That's amazing. And you want to know something else? When we gather together as a church, God's presence is there. And here's what he's saying. He's saying what he said to the Corinthians later on. He's saying, you guys are the sanctuary of the living God. That we can't experience the presence of God just sitting at home watching a sermon. We can't experience the presence of God like this he's talking about, just sitting there listening to music. We experience the presence of God in a way that is unique as we come together and we worship him as a church. The living God is amongst us. Think about that the next time you come here. You say, why am I going? The living God is amongst us. That's amazing. You say, how does that change lives? I want to show you this. This is beautiful. Go with me real quick to 1 Corinthians 14. 1 Corinthians 14. I want to show you this. In the, in, I love this passage. Uh, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 23. This is beautiful. Look at this here. Here's where we can have fun with the Bible. Verse 23 says this, Therefore, if the whole church assembles together, right? that's what God wants us to do. He calls us out. We assemble together. And look at this in 1 Corinthians 14, 23. And all speak in tongues. Let's stop there for a moment. 
Can you imagine if you walked in here today and you, you, you go to greet somebody and the person you greet, you go, hey, hi, nice to meet you. He said, oh, un placer conocerte también. And you look at them and you say, what? Da, un placer conocerte también. Bueno, gracias por venir a nuestra iglesia. <laughs> Just say mucho, it means a lot. But anyway, uh, <laughs> what would you think? How about this? If you came into the church and people what would you think? What would you think? Uh, you walk in, you can't understand the word that they're doing, and one person stands up. Look at this verse. This is beautiful. Somebody walks into the church, right? He is ungifted. He doesn't have the Holy Spirit. He's an unbeliever. They enter, and they hear you speaking and all these things. Will they not say that you are what? You're a nut job. That's my translation of this. You're mad. The church is nuts. I was so nervous. One time we had an Argentine friend of mine come and visit, and he was a pastor too, and he's sitting at the front door here. It was a beautiful day. It wasn't snowing like it is today. And uh, a beautiful day, and this guy comes for the first time, a visitor, and my friend that speaks no English runs to him to greet him. And I'm thinking, oh, no, don't greet him. He doesn't, you know, this guy, you don't know any English. How are you going to greet him? God's sovereignty. The guy that came and visited us was from Puerto Rico. He knew Spanish. And they were talking to each other in Spanish. Praise the Lord. The one Sunday that they came. They would think we're nuts. Now watch this. Here's where it gets beautiful. But if all prophesy, if all are preaching the word of God and speaking the word of God and talking the word of God and make the word of God central, that's what he's saying in verse 24. Don't miss this. And an unbeliever or an ungifted man enters, notice what happens to him. He is convicted by all. You see that? Look at the power of God's word. And he is a call to account by all. I'll never forget the feeling I had when I went to a Bible study in college and they were opening up the Bible and they were talking the Bible and they were preaching the Bible. And I just remember my heart saying, wow, what in the world are these lunatics talking about? They're nuts. Because they had something I didn't have and my heart was being convicted. Notice this in verse 25. Look what happens. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. They realize, hey, they don't know Jesus. They're not saved. And what do they do? Look at verse 25. They fall on his face and they worship God. And here's what they say, declaring that God is certainly among you. In other words, when we come together, that's God is among us. And as people see the preaching, the teaching, the, the singing, the praying, everything surrounded by the word of God, they say, wow, God is there. And if they don't know Jesus, they're going to feel uncomfortable. They're going to be like, what am I missing? Something's wrong. And praise God, here's what's amazing. We have hope that they get saved. When I walked into that Bible study and he was preaching the Bible and teaching the Bible, I couldn't believe that hearing that Bible like that, that night I raised my hand and said, I want you, Jesus. 
Now let's go back to First Timothy 3. He say, you know why we bother with church? Because it's God's people. We bother, we bother with church because it's, it's God's presence is there. But don't, don't miss this one. And this is the responsibility of all of us. And we'll end with this one. This is the reason why we bother with church. Because God has entrusted with us to proclaim and to preserve and protect His truth. Now don't miss this. This is not just for the pastor. This is not just for the elder. This is not just for the deacon. This is for every believer in the world. This is what God wants out of you and out of me. We are here for what? Look at this verse. It is the church of the living God. And here's what the church is. It is the pillar. You know what a pillar is? A pillar holds up a building. But back then they would have them many feet that would raise up the roof of the place. And they would raise up the roof so that people would be able to see it. We are here. We are living our lives holding up God's word so that people can see it. They can see the very truth of God's word. We have to hold it high. Now, here's what happens. Some churches tell you, we determine what God says. That's not true. We display what God says. He's already determined it. We don't make up truth. We don't say this is truth. We just display it to the world. We say, this is truth. Here it is. This is what God says. We hold it up. That's what God wants out of your life. He wants you to hold up truth, display the truth, show the truth. And then, in a world filled with all kinds of crazy ideas, we are to support the truth. In other words, what do you do when somebody comes up to you and says an off-the-wall statement like this? Oh, you're experiencing gender dysphoria? That's normal. Don't worry about it. Do you really think that you're a male and you're, you're a female? Don't worry about it. God made a mistake. You're okay. Or you want to live with somebody that's the same sex? Go ahead and do it. You can, you can marry that person. That's love before God. You're okay. Or uh, you, you don't believe in Jesus? Don't worry about Jesus. You don't believe in Him? Don't worry. We're all going to the same place anyway. We are here to support what God says. Amen. And when people come and they say all these things that are against God's word, we say, no, no, that's not what the Bible says. It's not you and I can just agree to disagree. It's not, okay, you're okay, I'm okay, as long as it makes me happy, it makes you happy, we're both fine. It's none of that. We are here to display God's truth. He determines it, we believe it. There it is. Some people are like, man, that's kind of strict. That's, that's, that's pretty hard, isn't it? Well, it is hard, especially in a world that wants us to agree at all costs and not disagree. We are the pillar. We are the support of God's truth. We are the ones that God has given the responsibility to do that. No other organization out there has that responsibility. We do. When people come here, we hold up God's truth. When people come here, we defend God's truth. We are about God's truth because souls are at stake. You say, why bother with the church? It's snowing out. 
drink my hot chocolate. I got a heating pad now that goes on the bed. Oh, man, it's beautiful. I lay there. Man, I feel good. You know what? Even at times it feels better not even to be here. But you know what? I don't want to offend anybody. Church is not about me. And church is not about you. Church is about God. These are his people. This is his house. These are his rules. We have responsibilities to him. When we come, it's his presence is here. Praise God. And we come, he has given us the responsibility to hold up and to support what he says. It's about him. So on those mornings when it's snowing, it's beautiful out, and you say, you know what, I could do so much better without, without the church. Remember, this is God's place. You say, but how can, I, how can I feel better at home here? Well, here's a couple of things that one guy wrote that helps us with this. We attend, praise God, we're there. That helps us. The more that we're there, the more we feel at home. We get involved. You say, I don't know how. Jessica will let you know. But we get involved here because she'll, she'll grab you before you walk out the door. But, you know, we get involved. We serve. As we serve, our hearts are there. We pray for people. That helps us as well. It's hard to be bitter at a place as we pray for them. We, we give of our time, of our finances. As we do that, our hearts go there because our treasure is there. And we submit to what God says. But in a world that says, why even bother with this? We come back and we tell them why we bother with this. You know why? Because our Lord loves the church so much that he came down and he died for the church. So we love the church. So if anybody asks you, why do you even get up in the morning when it's snowing? It's just stay home. Relax. Drink your hot chocolate. The Broncos are coming on. They're going to lose. Watch them. You say, I'm not going there because the weather is beautiful and all that. There is no sacrifice that I am making compared to what our Lord Jesus made for me. And this is his body. This is his bride. This is his building. He loves the church. And because he loves it, so do I. And it has in imperfections there are humans there there are hypocrites there there are everything and if you're worried about hypocrites being at a church come there's room for one more because we're all hypocrites but there's only one god and we serve him let's pray our father in a in a world that minimizes the importance of church in a world that says, why bother with coming to church? In a world that tells us that we can do it without your people. Father, remind us of this text. Remind us that you have ordained the church. You have sent your son to die for the church. You love the church. And we come together to understand how our lives can align with your purposes and plans. We come here knowing that these are your people and we have responsibilities to love one another and care for one another and serve one another, to bear one another's burdens. 
We come here because we understand as we come together, we are the sanctuary of the living God. That your presence is here. And we come together, Lord, understanding that you have ordained and entrusted with us the responsibility to hold up your truth, to protect it, and to promote it. So God, use us to do that. Use us to do that not only when we're here together, but when we're out there in the world as well, to promote and protect your truth and to share what your word says. Thank you so much, God. We love you. Thank you for your church. We praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Bless you. If you would please stand with us. Harp the Herald Angels sing. Thank you.